That even when we're on our walk and we're out there and, and there's one, you know, and I start, and I just, you know, that was good, huh? See? Y'all didn't know I could do that. Uh, but here's the thing. Like I told my Cutler, look, um, my wife won't give me birds because she said they're messy and I know you. you you'll, you'll say, yes, I'll take care of it, but I know I'm going to be the one taking care of it. So I have an empty bird cage. So I am here as a beggar. If any one of you would say, you know what, the Lord is moving on my heart to give you a bird, Pastor. Anyone you uh, I'd, I'd say to you, God is really working in you. Yes, he is. Amen. I'm just kidding. I got to stop there. But anyways, you'll see what this is about towards the end of the message. It's there on purpose for a purpose. Why am I getting all these love emojis? See, even they online are really like, yes, pastor deserves a bird. Thank you so much. <laughs> so we're, we're focusing this series on when heaven meets earth. And yes, it, it goes in line with what this season is about, Christmas. And I'm praying that throughout this series, our hearts will be turned in the right direction regarding what the true significance is of this season so that we can enjoy fullness of satisfaction regardless of whether we get the gift we wanted or not or whether, you know, we enjoy this or that. But I believe that if we will capture through this series what God is going to want to communicate to us and we embrace it, we will then experience the fullness of what Jesus came to do through his coming. Now, we're going to focus on today the loss of heaven on earth. Again, we're focusing in this series on the theme, when heaven meets earth. But today, to lay the foundation, I want to begin by looking at the loss of heaven on earth. Now, if you study the scriptures, what you'll discover is that in the Bible, there are many gardens. The early chapters of Genesis introduces us to the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Delight, Pleasure. And the last chapter of Revelation presents a panoramic picture of the paradise of God. Some of the gardens of Scripture are, as already mentioned, the Garden of Communion, which is the Garden of Eden, mentioned in Genesis 3. Then you have the Garden of Agony, or the Garden of Gethsemane, that you find reference in John 18.1. Then there is the Garden of Triumph, in which was the empty tomb, Alluded to in John 19:41, And then you have the garden of glory, of paradise, that is promised to the overcomer. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. And then you have the garden of delight that is referenced in the book of Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs in chapters 4 and 5. Today, I want to focus on the Garden of Eden. The reason being is that when God created the earth, He included a geographical area on the earth 
known as the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Delight, the Garden of Pleasure, which was to be a picture of what he wanted them to enjoy that would reflect where he dwells in the heavens. It was to be a place of ongoing forever fellowship and communion with God. Of course, as you study about the Garden of Eden and what transpired there, you will discover that God's purpose and plan was temporarily interrupted because of man's decision. And we'll look into that as well in this message. But before I delve into what I want to communicate regarding principles and concepts and truths that we can draw from in the Garden of Eden, I want to share a story. You will not find it in the Bible, but it is one that has been uh, perpetuated, that has been uh, stated throughout time. It is said that Adam and his two sons, Cain and Abel, were out hunting one day, when Adam tuned or turned and started staring at something beautiful that was afar off. It was the Garden of Eden. Then Adam broke down and started weeping. He started crying. The boys didn't understand. Finally, Abel asked his father, Dad, why are you crying over this place? Adam looked up and said, Boys, That is where I used to live until mama ate us out of house and home. Now, the women are more hesitant to express joy over that story, but some men are unhindered in their exuberance. (laughs) But here's the truth, though. Eve may have started it, but Adam finished it. Romans 5.12 tells us that by the sin of one man, death entered into this world. Sin became part of our experience. And as a result, death became part of our experience as well. The truth is, if you and I had been Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. Why? We have the same nature. So I want to go back to the Garden of Eden and let's discover what God is trying to communicate to us through what transpired there. The first is this, that humankind, mankind, was created by God to connect with God and conquer through God. We were created by God, humankind, mankind was created to have a time, a time of fellowship, relationship, connection with God, and to conquer through God. Look with me at Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God what? Bless them. And God said to who? To them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and notice and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Through the blessing of God, Adam and Eve were positioned and empowered to experience two things, subjugation and dominion. The word subdue is from a Hebrew word, kaubash, which is a primitive word that means to tread down, negatively to disregard, positively to conquer, to conquer, to conquer, or to keep under. The word dominion, radah, means to tread down as well, to subjugate, to crumble up. It also contains the word, the meanings of reign and rule. So when God created Adam and Eve, He created them for a twofold purpose. To experience relationship with Him and rulership under Him. God created Adam and Eve to experience relationship with Him and rulership under Him. God created Adam and Eve to be able to, through His blessing, be equipped and empowered to experience dominion. In other words, you and I were never meant to be dominated. We were never meant to be conquered. We were never meant to be under the influence of anything that opposes and is contrary for God's will for our lives. And here's the good news, that no matter the hurt, no matter the hang-up, no matter the habit, when you come to Jesus Christ, God gives you that same ability that He gave Adam and Eve. He positions you. He sets you up to succeed. In other words, to overcome. No longer are you the one that's dom- dominated. Now you have dominion because in the Lord there's a change, a shift, a transformation that happened. You and I were never created to be victims. We were created to be victors. And then watch this, watch this. Genesis 2, 15 and 16 tells us, Then the Lord God took the man, say the man, and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So Adam had the responsibility initially. He had the responsibility. This is before Eve was created. He was given the assignment, the task. Tend, cultivate, work the ground. So that what the ground has the potential to produce will come forth. So you tend, you, you, you cultivate, you work the ground so that the potential that the ground has to produce will be realized. And then he says, guard it. The word there, keep, shamar, it means to protect. It means to guard. This is important. Adam was given the responsibility not only to work the ground, but to protect, guard the garden. Here's the second truth, second reality that we see communicated in the Garden of Eden. Disruption and disconnection through yielding to the devil's deception. Disruption and disconnection through yielding, giving into the devil's deception. Watch this. Genesis 3, 
1 through 7. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. It begins with, now the serpent. Now, who's the serpent? We know the serpent is the devil. Revelation 12 calls him the old serpent. Paul alluded to him as the serpent in 2 Corinthians 11. So this is the devil embodying the serpent in order to deceive Eve and then ultimately Adam. Watch this. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What was he doing here? He was questioning God's word. He was questioning God's word. And notice how he did it. He said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What did God say? You can eat of every tree of the garden except. But you see how the devil twisted what God said? How he flipped what God said? Because he wanted to present God's word in a negative way. And then it tells us, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you what? Lest you die. Read what God said. He didn't tell him, don't touch it. But she added that. The Bible tells us not to take away or add to it what God has said. What that tells me is, she's already been being duped by conversing with the devil. Let me say to every believer, you and I are not called to speak with the devil. We're called to stick it to the devil. There's a difference. She got in trouble because she started to have this conversation which she didn't need to have. Now, some of you are like, whoa, he's sure picking on women today. No, I'm not done yet. This is why I grow leery with, 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 with preachers that like to talk to demons. I'm like, what's your name, demon? And then they start, where, where are you from? And it's like, just drive the darn thing out. The Bible tells us in my name they shall drive out demons. We're not called to have a dialogue with them. You just want people to look, oh, look how good. Why are you wasting your time giving that demon a voice when Jesus said, this is what you do. In my name, you drive out that thing. In my name, you cast it out. Don't converse with that. But you tell somebody, pastor, say it, tell, tell your neighbor, pastor, don't play. I've been in this thing long enough and it's like, Quit the charade and just get the thing done. Now, let's continue here, church. Let's continue. Let's look at what the Word says. Then it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, watch this, You will not surely die. Not only did he question God's truthfulness, now question God's Word, now he's questioning God's truthfulness. He said, You shall not surely die. God's lying to you. Imagine the audacity of the father of lies saying God lies. But he did. He implied it. And then 
He continued, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Now he's questioning God's motives. He's implying God's holding out on you. Knowing good and evil. And then it says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, watch this, with her. And he ate. I mean, you know what? That's, that Adam was with her while the devil is talking to her. And he played dumb. Now you're like, oh, he's calling men dumb. No, I mean, he stopped speaking. He acted like he couldn't talk. Dumb. Talk, unable to communicate, okay? But yeah, he was tonto too in that way too. He was tonto. He's just there and it's like, and say nothing. And yet God told him, I'm giving you a task. Not only do I want you to work the ground, I want you to guard the garden. And when God blessed them, he gave them the ability to subjugate, to have dominion over any creeping thing. And how many of you know the serpent was the biggest creep of all? And yet Adam did not exercise his authority and in his silence, he allowed the serpent to carry out his work. Oh, I want to remind you, if you are a child of God, you have authority in the name of Jesus. You don't have to sit back and take whatever the devil is throwing at you. You have authority to confront him and say, not here, not in my house, not in my life, not in my body, not in my home. You're not going to disrupt. You're not going to disrupt what God wants to do in my life. I'm using the name that is above every name, the name of the one that faced you head on and defeated you in his name. Man, so it tells us they ate and then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Why? Because they knew We sinned. We disobeyed. Now they're bearing the shame, the pain, and they're covering it. When God comes to speak to them, like he normally would in the cool of the day, Adam, where are you? Adam says, I hid myself. I heard your voice and I hid. Why did he hide? He knew. I did wrong. Clayton Bell once said this, there are two big lies that Satan has been perpetrating ever since the Garden of Eden. The first is that God is mean, vindictive, a spoil sport whose main role is to keep us from being fulfilled and happy. When we step out of bounds, he takes delight in making us pay. That's the first lie. He continues, the second lie is that God really does not care 
what we do. Probably does not know. And if he does, his business is to forgive us. He will always forgive no matter what. So it really does not make much difference how we live and what we believe. Those are two lies of the enemy. The the word of the Lord is clear. Whatever you and I sow, we will reap. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap destruction. But if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap life everlasting. God set that in motion. He made it clear. Look, these are my principles, precepts, promises by which you can live and experience not only relationship with me, but rulership under me. But if you go out of those bounds, then there are consequences to your choice. That's not the result of a vindictive God. And this is why in this house we will live in the tension between grace and truth. Why? Because the Bible says of our Lord Jesus, He was full of grace and truth. John 1.14 And let me just be clear. The same grace that saves me is the same grace that empowers me. The same grace that embraces me for salvation is the same grace that empowers me to overcome sin. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reveals it's through grace by faith that we are saved. It's through His unmerited kindness, unmerited favor, unearned kindness that we're saved. But then Titus 2, 11 to 14 reveals that the grace of God has appeared and it does this. It gives us the ability to say no to ungodliness. That same grace that embraces me empowers me to overcome. Why? Because I, like Adam and Eve, are now in Christ empowered not to be mastered, but to master, to overcome, to have dominion. This brings me to the third reality and truth. Restoration and reconciliation set in motion. Restoration and reconciliation set in motion. So, Adam and Eve, they blow it. There's a disruption, it seems, of God's purpose and plan that He intended for them. And then there's a disconnection. Their fellowship with God is broken. But then, in the very garden, whoop, in the very garden where the failure happened, God sets in motion the process for restoration and reconciliation. Watch this. In Genesis 3.15, and then we'll read verse 21. Genesis 3.15, and then verse 21. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity, or hostility, conflict between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent here. And then he says, And between your seed and her seed. Watch this. Then he identifies her seed. He then says, He, He shall Bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Oh, here it is. Watch this. The first Adam messed it up. Mm. But God says, there's a second Adam 
there's a last Adam that's coming. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 15, 45, that, the last Adam. It's just talking about Jesus. You'll discover. And the seed, you'll discover in Galatians chapter 3, read about verses 13 to 24. You'll discover that the seed of the woman is none other than Jesus Christ. So God is saying, you devil, you think that you caught me by surprise. Ah, so I'll get I'll get back to that because I'm, oh, I feel like jumping the gun, but I'm going to wait. Watch this. God says to the devil, "Look, you thought through Adam that you were going to thwart my plan. You thought you stopped my plan, but then God says in the place where they failed." There's another one coming, and the seed of the woman, the very one that you deceived, is going to experience my delivering through them. This is what God does. He can take your mistakes and still perform a miracle. Woo! I want you to understand... Whether you're here or watching online, I'm talking about the Redeemer. It doesn't matter what the devil has duped you by. You don't have to stay enslaved. You don't have to be a victim of. You don't have to stay in your trauma. You don't have to stay in that habit that has been defeating your life. Jesus has come. The Redeemer that was born in a manger, the babe of Bethlehem. He is that seed who God said would come. Watch this. And he said to the serpent, and this seed, this seed is going to bruise your head. You're going to bruise his heel. (laughs) And that happened on the cross. He bruised Jesus' heel. But you know what Jesus did? Get off me. And he crushed. Now watch this. The word bruise the head. It's an oriental term that means to break the supremacy and mastery of. So when the Bible says through God speaking that he, the promised seed, would bruise the head of the serpent who is in in body form at that time. The devil had embodied the serpent. So God was directing his words actually to the devil. And he's saying, devil, you thought you thwarted my plan. You thought you stopped my purpose from being fulfilled. But there's another one coming. And he's going to bruise your head. He's going to break your mastery. He's going to break your lordship. He's going to break your rulership. You think that you have now humanity enslaved to you for the rest of their lives. But I'm sending a redeemer that will break your power. That regardless of what you've used to hold them in bondage, he will be the greater one that will come in. He'll be the stronger one that will plunder your house and take back those that I've redeemed from you and set them free and no longer will you hold them enslaved. They will become my sons and daughters. Then verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin. And covered them. Remember what happened when they first fell in sin? 
they tried covering themselves with leaves. With leaves. Remember the story about the little boy? He was going through his mama's Bible, and there was a leaf that she had been using as a marker, and the leaf fell out. And the boy said, Mama, I think I found Adam's leaf. (laughs) I had to tell that. (laughs) They try to cover themselves, but what does Isaiah reveal? All our righteousness is as filthy rags. They tried to cover for their debt, for their shame, but it wasn't enough. So what does God do? He covers them, watch this, with the tunics of skin. This is what is called the pre-evangelium. This is a, a, a foretelling of the gospel. What happened was God apparently took a couple of animals or an animal and then it was killed and then he took the skin of that animal and he covered he covered Adam and Eve why he was foretelling the gospel that there would come an innocent sufferer who would become the ultimate sacrifice by which we could be covered for the debt that we owed that is none other than Jesus Christ that's why the Bible says that God has given us the righteousness of God in him For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. What does that mean, Pastor? You and I, on our own, we stand guilty. And we can try through our own efforts to work our way to get right with God, but it won't work. We will always find our account revealing insufficient funds. But thank God for Jesus Christ, that he shed his blood, every drop of his blood so that not only my sins right now but the sins of my past and even the sins of my future would be covered and for every person on earth who turns their faith in him there are sufficient funds to cover for the debt that we owed and thank God for our sacrifice Jesus the perfect sacrifice who through his blood has made the way for us to be covered and once again experience the restoration of being in Communion and fellowship with God. Watch this. Revelation 13.8. Watch this. It says, all who dwell on the earth, Revelation 13.8, will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. Watch this. Of the Lamb slain, notice, from the foundation of the world. Watch this. The Lamb slain. From the foundation of the world. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible footnote points out that from the foundation of the world refers to before the creation. (laughs) The Lamb, let's read it that way. The Lamb slain before the creation. Before God made the earth, before God made Adam and Eve, before he placed them in the Garden of Eden, before the serpent, the devil, was able to deceive them, God already planned his move. So it's like God would say, okay, devil, you made your move. 
But what you don't know, I knew what you were going to do already. And before you made your move, I already had my move ready to go. And it's like God was saying, look, you want to play? You play with me? What you discover is, I already know your move. And not only that, but I've already set my move in motion. And ultimately, checkmate is always going to be mine. Can I say to you, it doesn't matter what the devil tries against your life. If you're a child of God, your daddy's got your back. Your papa's looking out for you. you got to understand that the only true and wise God, he already knows. He's not shocked. He's not like, oh, I didn't think that would happen. I can't believe he did that, really. No, God is not taken by surprise. God knows beforehand. Jesus put it this way, that our Father knows what we have need of even before we ask Him why. He has this foreknowledge. He already knows, but it also means He's thinking ahead. He's planning ahead. That's why you can rest and you can boldly stand on His promise that no matter what happens, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Why? He's already planned the move that will give you and I checkmate. So, let me wrap this up with the cage. Notice it's empty. But one of you is going to be used by God, I believe. No, I'm just kidding. So here's a story. Here's a story. George Thomas was a pastor in a small New England town. One Easter Sunday morning, he came to the church carrying a rusty, bent, old birdcage. He set it by the pulpit. Several eyebrows of the church members and those in attendance were raised. And as if in response, Pastor Thomas began to speak. I was walking through town yesterday when I saw a young boy coming toward me, swinging this birdcage. On the bottom of the cage were three little wild birds, shivering with cold and fright. I stopped the boy and asked, What you got there, son? Just some old birds, came the reply. What are you going to do with them? I asked. Take them home and have fun with them, he answered. I'm going to tease them and pull out their feathers to make them fight. I'm going to have a real good time. But you'll get tired of those birds sooner or later. What will you do then? Oh, I got some cats, said the little boy. They like birds. I'll take them to them. The pastor was silent for a moment. How much do you want for those birds, son? Huh? Why? You don't want them birds, mister. They're just plain old field birds. They don't sing. And they ain't even pretty. How much? The pastor asked again. The boy sized up the pastor as if he were crazy and said, 
$10. The pastor reached in his pocket and took out a $10 bill. He placed it in the boy's hand. In a flash, the boy was gone. The pastor picked up the cage and gently carried it to the end of the alley where there was a tree and a grassy spot. Setting the cage down, he opened the door. And by softly tapping the bars, he persuaded the birds out, setting them free. Well, that explained the empty birdcage on the pulpit. And then the pastor began to tell this story. One day, Satan and Jesus were having a conversation. Satan had just come from the Garden of Eden and he was gloating and boasting. Yes, sir, I just caught the whole world full of people down there. Set me a trap using bait I knew they couldn't resist. Got them all. What are you going to do with them? Jesus asked. Satan replied, Oh, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to teach them how to marry and divorce each other, how to hate and abuse each other, how to drink and smoke and curse. I'm going to teach them how to invent guns and bombs and kill each other. I am really going to have fun. Now, what will you do when you're done with them, Jesus asked. Oh, I'll kill them. How much do you want for them, Jesus asked. Oh, you don't want those people. They ain't no good. Why, you'll take them and they'll just hate you and they'll spit on you. They'll curse you. They'll deny you. They'll betray you. And ultimately, they will kill you. You don't want those people. How much? He asked again. Satan looked at Jesus and sneered. All your tears and all your blood. Jesus said, done. Then he paid the price. Then the pastor picked up the birdcage. He opened the door. Then he walked off stage. The message had clearly been communicated. What message? Every person caged in by the devil has the potential because of the price Jesus paid for their redemption to come out unto freedom. There is not anybody who has to be bound by any hurt, hang-up, or habit that is destructive and that you know is enslaving your life. Jesus paid it all so that you could be free today. And if you're a child of God, I want you to know you have no business being in slavery. You are not a slave anymore. Your purchase was made through the blood of Jesus and that blood never loses its power. So today, instead of running from Him, run to Him because at Him, in Him, there is a fount that cleanses. Woo. 
Father, I thank you for Jesus on this day. I thank you that there's freedom today. There's freedom because of Jesus. In spite of the devil's deception and scheming and working, you set in motion the way for restoration and reconciliation. Today, you want to bring peace, wholeness, completeness, well-being to every soul that has been tormented and finds their inner being in a state of chaos. You have made the way for peace, well-being, completeness, reconciliation, restoration. No hurt, no hang-up, no habit can keep enslaved anyone. turns to you because the price you paid <laughs> was sufficient and is sufficient. So if you're here or online, I want you to know Jesus came to give you freedom from sin bondage. He came to give you freedom so that instead of being destroyed by the works of the devil through his name through your relationship with him you could experience rulership under him and you could conquer you could overcome the lies and the schemes of the devil. This is your day for freedom. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. You got to understand I've come today with an assignment and I know it. I'm here not only as a pastor but as a fellow journer with you. I I know what it's like to be bound, but I also know what it's like to be free. And I know Jesus can free you, just like He's freed me and many others. Today's your day to experience coming out of the cage. This is your day for freedom. you don't know how I've been hurt, Pastor. You don't know how this habit, I've tried to break it, but I can't. I know you can't. I couldn't. Oh, but I know who can. I know it. Jesus can. If you want that freedom, I want you to have the opportunity today to come
come to Jesus who is waiting with open arms. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He says, You want freedom. I want you to come forward. This is the front area that we call the altar. We have prayer warriors, prayer leaders that are ready to assist me in praying for you. You want that? You come. Don't wait on anybody. You come. You want the Lord's work in your life that He made possible. You come. Right now. Right now. Right now, come. This is your moment to experience the fullness of what Jesus has made possible. Yeah, we talked about it. There's peace for you. There's peace for you right now. There's peace for you. Shalom, well-being, wholeness, reconciliation, completeness. Even in places where there's been brokenness, this is the awesomeness of God. He brings wholeness to our brokenness. Uh, He can turn your pieces into a masterpiece. That's what He's able to do. Come, 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 come. There's others of you. You know you need to be here. You know you need to call. It's time to quit resisting. It's time to yield and let God do the work that His power can accomplish. Come on. As our PW sings, we're going to call on the Lord together. Come on.